All right, it sounds, uh, sounds like the music has ended, so that means the fellowship is now over. Uh, and may I just uh, say it's so good to see you all uh, again. Uh, we appreciate it so much, just uh, your hospitality. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Jeff being gracious to uh, invite me back again this year and uh, Wow, did he kill it this morning or what? Amen. Uh, wow, I was like, yeah, why did, why did he invite me to be here after that? But uh, if you weren't here this morning or maybe working in another part of the building, uh, those of you that will be uh, doing this from the live stream, if you missed this morning, it is absolutely crucial to the things that we're talking about this week. I, uh, I'm not just being a nice guy right now when I say you need to hear what was spoken in this room uh, this morning. And uh, of course, we, we're here, I think most of you know this, we're here this week to talk about the, the inspiration, the transmission, the preservation, listen, and the certainty of the words of truth, and perhaps even a little more specifically, we're here to answer the question, is the Bible in the authorized King James Version, is it actually the word and words of God? And may I just say, and may I say with all due respect, that there, there's a bunch of people out there that believe what we believe a, a, about this book, but they, they wouldn't approach it the same way that we would approach it. Uh, they certainly, in my estimation, wouldn't convey the real issues of this subject the way that we would. If I were going to be honest with you, I, I would say it. I, I know it sounds negative, and I don't want to be a negative guy right from the very beginning, but a lot of people who hold the position on the Bible that we hold spend more time yelling about having it than they do actually preaching it. And we're not interested in that. That's not what the Living Faith Fellowship is all about. We don't take, we don't spend every Sunday preaching on this subject, and yet every Sunday we preach from this book. And so we felt that it was necessary, that it would be good for us to just clear off some space and talk about this, this issue and why we believe what we believe. I, I think that most of you probably realize that in the last 50 years or so, this subject uh, concerning the Bible, where it is, the, the versions of the Bible, I think most of us are realizing that this has become a pretty divisive issue. And, and you may be asking, you know, I know we've got people in all kinds of different places in our spiritual growth. You may be asking, why, why is it that this is such a confusing and controversial subject? And 
the very simple answer to that question, y'all, is that it had to be. <laughs> and, and let me explain what, what I mean by that. The reason that it had to be such a confusing and controversial issue is because of the supreme importance that God placed upon his word. And if you want to understand the supreme importance that God placed on his word, well, just track with me for just a second. I, I, I want to begin just talking about the name of our God. Listen, y'all. There is nothing that is more important to our God than his name. The, the name of God is the sum total of all that he is. All of his attributes, all of his character, everything that comes together to make God the God of the Bible, that's his name. And that's why he says in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5, he says that his name is exalted above all blessing and praise. If there's something out there to bless, if there is something out there to praise, God is exalted above all of that. That's the name of our God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he says he has given him, Christ, a name. That is above every other name. And at that knee, name, y'all, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the name of our God. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved listen y'all the name of our god is so incredible and yet when you come to psalm 138 in verse 2 the way this the, the psalmist says this he says i will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And after everything that I've just said, I want you to listen to this. Oh, I'm going to praise your name, he says. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Hold the phone. <laughs> Wait. Say what? You have exalted your word above your name. How could that be? Because we already saw you. there's nothing that could be more exalted than the name of our God. But listen, y'all, do you know how we get to know the name of our God? There's only one way that God chose to do that, and it's through a book. And so that we would know the name that is above every other name. In his sovereignty, he exalted his word above his own name. Now, now listen, y'all. If that is the preeminent place 
that God has placed upon his word. Let me guarantee to you that the devil is going to do everything within his power to counter it and to counterfeit it. And obviously, the fact that the devil was going to come against God's word, does anybody think that that, that surprised God? Oh, didn't see that coming. Okay, with, with that in mind, you know, you would have, you would have just thought that somewhere in these 1,189 chapters that comprise our King James Bible, you would have thought that God would have at least taken one of them to tell us how to think about this whole subject. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. We happen to be a group of weirdos that actually believes that the mind of the Lord, the mind of Christ is in this book. In this book, he reveals to us how he thinks so that we can find out what he thinks and make that what we think <laughs> so we can stop all of the nonsense of well what do you think who cares <laughs> i don't even care about what i think man but i do care immensely about what the bible has to say and again you certainly would have thought that somewhere in this big old book that he would have revealed how he thinks about a subject that is so near and dear to his heart that he exalted it above his own name. And the good news is, y'all, he did. Did you know that? That there is a place in this book where God just says, hey, listen, if you really want to understand the issues, I lay them all out for you in one chapter of the Bible. And that one chapter in the Bible just happens to be Jeremiah chapter 36. And this is where we'll pick up in our notes. I know that's scary. <laughs> but what happens here in Jeremiah chapter 36 is God clears off the space to give us one of the clearest explanations and illustrations in the entire Bible about this whole process that we're here to talk about this week. Inspiration, the transmission of Scripture, the preservation of Scripture. All of that is laid out for us. And tonight, man, what I, wanna, I want you to see is how God, in this chapter, has given us every detail of what he knew that we would need to take the principles in the New Testament that he gives us concerning this process and have a biblical way of interpreting that New Testament and, and all of the things that have happened down through the annals of history, listen, not only with regard to the Word of God singular, but the words of God plural. And I'd like to invite you 
tonight, even though the verses, Lord willing, will be up on the screen. I'd like for you to turn and take your holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word and words of God that you hold in your hand and turn to Jeremiah chapter 36 with me tonight. And I, man, I'm telling you, I wish to my soul that we had the time tonight uh, just by way of introduction and getting everybody dialed in to what is actually happening in this passage. I wish we had the time to, to read the entire thing. Uh, quite honestly, we don't have the time to just read all of it to get it in our heads. Now, if you're listening to this at a, or, or watching this at a different time, I would suggest that you hit the pause button and go read this chapter. It'll take you six minutes if you read slowly and, and, and get acquainted with it. But I'm going to acquaint you, guys that are here, I'm going to acquaint you with it, so don't, don't, don't worry uh, about that. But in this chapter, so that we don't have to rely on our often faulty ability to reason things out, because the reality is, y'all, we can't reason ourselves into the mind of the Lord. In fact, the way that he tells us in Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9 is that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. In other words, what he's trying to get us to understand is he doesn't approach things the way that we do. And that's why the scripture asks in two different places, Romans chapter 11 and verse 34 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, the, the question is asked, bring it. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Because again, y'all, listen, we, we just simply are not going to reason ourselves into his mind. And, and so, we didn't, so that we didn't have to be left to ourselves to try to figure it out. And so as Pastor Jeff was talking about this morning, so that we don't have to leave the Bible and go outside of the Bible in order to try to understand the things that are inside the Bible, God takes a little place like Jeremiah chapter 36 and he provides for us five key priorities that he has in his heart about the transmission and inspiration of his word and words. I am personally convinced, I, I think that you will be tonight after we see what actually is, is contained in this chapter, that this is that one chapter in 1,189 of them, this is the one where God gives us his mind about how to discern the real issues concerning his word and how to interpret the events of history that are actually significant in his mind. Doesn't matter if it's significant in ours, and it doesn't really matter if it's significant in the minds of the scholars. What we want to do is figure out the mind 
of the Lord when it comes to the word of the Lord and this whole crazy version issue that we find ourselves here in the beginning of the 21st century. And so tonight, without leaving the Bible, but rather by trusting the Spirit of God to guide us by the Bible, the reality is, y'all, something is going to guide our thinking on this subject, right? As far as I can tell, it's either going to be man's wisdom as it's propagated through human intellect and reasoning and scholarship, or it's going to be God's wisdom as it's revealed in his word. And here's the first thing that we learn and we know for certain from Jeremiah chapter 36. Number one, God makes a priority out of men having all of his words. God makes a priority out of men having all of his words. And, and I do mean his words. Okay, I'm not talking about his ideas. I'm not talking about his thoughts, his values, his concepts, but his very words. Okay, and let me show you that. And as we're reading these verses together, try to get your head into what's happening in this chapter. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, obviously what we would now refer to as a scroll. Okay, y'all are thinking, aren't you? And write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. And basically what God is, is telling Jeremiah that he wants him to do is that he wants to communicate the words that he, that is God, had given to Jeremiah and spoken through Jeremiah from the time back in chapter 1 and verse 2 when he called Jeremiah to be his prophet, listen, in the days of Josiah, or back when Josiah was king. And again, that was when God first called him and he began to carry out the ministry of being his prophet. So from that time... All the way up to the events that we're reading about here in chapter 36, when Zedekiah was king, God wanted all of his words to be written in a book. And I say, all of them, again, not because that's the point I want to make at the Certainty Conference. I say that because that's what it says in verse 2. <laughs> Okay, and, and you know what? I think that if God would have simply said that in verse 2, I want you to write all the words. Okay, I think that would have been a significant point. It probably would have made it to tonight's outline. But do you realize that for some crazy reason, God is careful to repeat that a dozen times in this passage? And I'm not saying... Hello, it's like a dozen times. I'm not using a figure of speech. I'm saying literally 12 times 
in the passage, what he tells Jeremiah is he said, I want you to write every last one of my words. All of them. Okay, so he says that the first time, as we just saw in verse 2, God says, take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words. Verse 4 says, then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord. Verse 11 when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, sorry, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all of the words of the Lord, verse 13, then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard. In verse 16, he says it twice. So for those of you that are going, there's only 11 references here. He says it twice in verse 16. Now it came to pass when they had heard, I know there's a lot of anal people in this church, man. Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one and another and said unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king all these words. Verse 17 continues, and they asked Baruch, saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Verse 18, then Baruch answered them, and he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. In the end of verse 20, they told all the words in the ears of the king, and at the end of verse 24 says, Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Verse 28, take thee yet again another roll and write in it all the former words. And then look in the middle of verse 32, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book. Okay, I know that was typical Mark, wasn't it? Get on that pony and ride, baby. Okay, but now listen. The reason that I did that is the same reason God did. To emphasize the point that he is trying to make here. Again, everything that I'm trying to say here tonight is what we see in the book and what he shows us here is that when he wants to communicate with man his priority is that his very words get communicated how many of them y'all thank you all of them got recorded in a book or a scroll so it could be his authorized words as we see in verse 6 to be read to the people in the temple. That was the reason that he wanted these words in that book. And again, may I simply say again, the emphasis that God makes in this passage in what I would consider to be an over-the-top fashion 12 times was that he wasn't interested in men getting the general idea of what he had spoken to Jeremiah or a reliable representation of what he had spoken to him. His intention was that what ended up in that book was God's very, say it, his very words. And, and to make the, the point of this, this conference very clear, 
It is the firm belief of the churches that comprise the Living Faith Fellowship that in 1605, God began to do a very similar thing with his word that we are reading about here in Jeremiah chapter 36. God began to do this particular thing in the nation of England. And he had a desire, and he decreed by his own worth and his own self-interest, God himself using as he has done and at other times in history, using what was most likely a lost earthly king that he, God, authorized the translators of what would become the authorized version of the Bible that was authorized on the earth by King James to be read in the churches. But we believe that at the same exact time, God was authorizing this book as his authoritative book, not only as a compilation of every book of the Bible in one volume, but the compilation of every one of God's words in every book of the Bible in one volume. And we realize that in the 21st century, most Christians view our position as extreme. And may I say to you that if you do think that this is an extreme view, if it's an extreme view to you, could I just remind you that for a period of 300 years, from 1611 And for all practical purposes, to 1901, this wasn't an extreme view in Christianity. Our position was the normal, unquestioned view that was held by English-speaking Christians all over the world, as God was authorizing the King James Bible through the establishment of the British Empire all over the world. Do you remember the old line that we learned in history? The sun never sets on the British Empire. You know how it did that? They were taking their King James Bible that we're holding in our hands tonight and taking it to the ends of the earth and teaching people all over the world the English language to make English the universal language in the last watch of the night before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ so that his word, the sun would never set on it, so that it would be accessible to people all over the world. But in verse 4, we begin to get into the nitty-gritty of, of God revealing to us how he operates in this whole process of transmitting his word for use 
on this planet. And I, I believe it reveals to us in verse 4 the second priority that he has regarding the Bible. And that is God's priority is that his inspired spoken words become his inspired written words. God's priority is that his inspired spoken words become his inspired written words. Okay, now as we go into verse 4, make sure you're tracking. Verse 4 says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Okay, now I, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I do want to make sure that as we're looking at this verse, that we're all actually seeing a three-step process here of biblical transmission, or just how it is, listen, that the words of the Lord in heaven get to the people on the earth. How does that happen? Okay, first of all, what we see here in this passage is the Lord spoke all of his words to his holy prophet with his mouth. That is, with whose mouth, y'all? God's mouth. <laughs> okay, and, and in this case, the, the holy prophet that we're talking about was uh, obviously Jeremiah. The middle of verse 4 says, And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah... All the words of the Lord, watch this now, which he, God, had spoken unto him. Okay, so the first step in the process is the Lord spoke all of his words to his holy prophet with his, capital H, mouth. And then secondly, letter B, God's holy prophet then spoke all of the words of the Lord with his mouth, small h, the prophet's mouth. Look at verse 4 again. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him. In, in other words, okay, this is real simple, but get it. The very words that came out of God's mouth were the same exact words that came out of the holy prophet Jeremiah's mouth. Right? Okay. Then thirdly, verse 4 also lets us know, letter C, a scribe, which is often referred to in this process as an amanuensis. Okay. It's just a, a little vocabulary word that you might want to just file in your head as you begin to talk about this issue or try to understand it. Okay, a, a scribe, an amanuensis, which is uh, basically we're talking about a legal secretary or one who's proficient in dictation, then wrote all the words of the Lord which came out of the prophet's mouth, which were all the prophets that had come out of the Lord's mouth, and he, Baruch, the scribe, the amanuensis, wrote those words on a roll of a book, and again, what we would call a scroll. And, and, and okay, so, so listen, y'all. That 
in as plain as word, words as possible without any kind of theological verbiage or mumbo-jumbo and without having to leave the Bible to explain it or define anything, what we find in Jeremiah chapter 36 is the process in what we call the inspiration and transmission of the Scripture. It's exactly what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 when he said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And inspiration is really nothing more than that threefold process that we just saw in Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 4. It's exactly what God used Peter to describe in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 where he says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. And notice that what God's wanting to make sure that we understand here that in this thing of producing his word that it never was man's invention and it never was man's intention. In fact, what you find the biblical precedence for is for it being the exact opposite of that. Because when you go back and you look at the prophets in old time, for example, Jeremiah, the one we're talking about tonight, I want you to know, listen, it certainly wasn't Jeremiah's will or intention to prophesy or to give people the words of God. In, in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, he just very graciously says, hey, that's cool, God, but I think you got the wrong guy. Hey, me. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah even got to the place, he says, I, I will not make mention of him, that's God, nor speak any more in his name, but he goes on to say, but his words, his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. In other words, it wasn't my will to do it, but doggone, I couldn't help it. <laughs> it's the same thing when we go to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, where you know, God is revealing himself to Moses and telling Moses that he wanted him to prophesy. And do you remember the whole Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11 thing? This whole exchange that he has and, you know, Moses, me, who the devil am I, man? And, and, and God says, dude, it, it ain't about who you are. It's about who I am. And we could go on with the examples. Anybody think that Jonah wanted to do what he was called by God to do? And so Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, and watch this now, holy men of God wrote, is that what it says? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And just as we saw in Jeremiah 36 and verse 4, Jeremiah, the holy prophet, spoke with his mouth all the words of the Lord that God was exhaling out of his mouth as Jeremiah was being moved by the Holy Ghost. And then, of course, God would always have someone like Baruch in this passage, the amanuensis, to take the inspired word of God spoken by his prophet 
to inscribe those words into a book. Listen now. So that the words in the book were the exact words the prophet had spoken, which were the same exact words which the Lord had spoken. Okay, so is everyone seeing that? Okay, and so just in case that we weren't seeing it, like with all of the words of the Lord, where he felt like he had to repeat it to us 12 times, God finds all kinds of ways to make sure that we're getting the point on this subject. Watch how he finds ways to reiterate this thing again. Jeremiah says in verse 5, he commanded Baruch saying, dude, I'm shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. In other words, Baruch, they, they've shut up my access into the, the temple. Verse 6, therefore go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from the mouth, from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the, in the Lord's house. Wait, why, why are you going through all of this? He knows that. He was the dude that wrote it. He knows what he was writing. He understood the process. Anybody think that maybe that might be for us? So we would understand the process and see the emphasis that God is making in this thing? Okay, so, so let me ask you. As Baruch read to the people what was in the roll or in that book, what were the people hearing? Were they hearing the words of men, or in this particular case, the words of Jeremiah? Or were they hearing the words of the Lord? Were they actually hearing the word of God? And we all know what the right answer is. Okay, They heard the words of the Lord as they were being read off of a scroll or out of a book. And if there were any question whatsoever about what got written in that book, watch what happens next in verse 8. It says, and Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, here it comes, reading in the book the words of who? The Lord in the Lord's house. And verse 10 says, then read Baruch in the book of the word, in the book, the words of who? The Lord? No, the words of Jeremiah. Oh, okay, whoa, hold, hold up. In verse 8, he just said what was in the book was the words of the Lord. And in verse 10, it says that what was in, his, in, in that book were the words of the Lord. So, so which is it? Again, what, what would be the biblical answer? What, what was in that book, y'all? You know me so well. The answer... Of what was in that book? Was it the words of Jeremiah or the words of God? Yes. Because both were in the book because that was the priority that God had in his heart 
for his word. And apparently God must really want us to fully understand just how it was and what it was that actually got put in that book because lo and behold, y'all, he finds yet another way to reiterate the same exact thing that we've already seen multiple times now. Look in verse 17. God records the words of the temple leaders to Baruch as they say, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? And Baruch Baruch responds in verse 18, he, that's, that's Jeremiah, pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. Okay, and what were those words that came out of Jeremiah's mouth? All the words of the Lord. And Baruch says at the end of verse 18, and I wrote them with ink in a book. (laughs) Okay, so five times for crying in the rain. (laughs) So that... There never be any question about it. God specifically delineates the process he used in the transmission and inspiration of his word. Verse 4, verses 5 and 6, verse 8, verse 10, and verses 17 and 18. So, what does God reveal to us in Jeremiah 36 about the priorities concerning his word? First of all, God makes a priority out of men having all of his words. Secondly, God's priority is that his inspired spoken words become his inspired written words. And then Jeremiah 36 shows us thirdly, God makes a priority out of men having his inspired words in a book they can hold in their hand. Seems like a real small point, y'all. But if this is the mind of the Lord and he's telling us how to think about this whole subject, he's revealing something pretty doggone major right here. And and, and remember now, what I'm attempting to do, I've tried to be honest with myself in preparation about this, but what, what I've tried to do is just make sure that what we're doing tonight is letting the points of the message come from the text from the Bible, and the things that God emphasizes are the things that we are trying to get our heads wrapped around so that we can make sure that we emphasize what God emphasizes from his own mind with his own words. Okay, And with that in mind, would you look at what happens in verse 14? Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shilamiah, the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying... Take in thine hand the roll, okay, as opposed to some other way that you might take it. (laughs) Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. Okay, and as we just read that verse together, why do you think that when God was inspiring all of this to be written in this chapter, that he didn't just say, hey, you know those words that you were reading to us a minute ago? 
We want you to read them again. Okay. Because that could have happened because Baruch knew where the words were. He wrote them. Okay. He knew what they were talking about. But for some reason in this chapter where God, at least in my mind, clearly is giving us his mind about the important issues regarding his word, he emphasizes the role or the book that Baruch held in his hand. And listen, what I'm about to say, I get it, man. It's going to sound to maybe some of you that are listening, it's going to sound like an oversimplification but I, I really believe that the, the issue that we're really dealing with, with here is the, the difference that we have with our brothers and sisters about this whole Bible issue, this whole version issue. It really isn't so much all of the words of the Lord. And it really isn't so much the process by which those words came to man. I can't imagine anybody that would take an opposing view to our version of the Bible that would contend those points. Okay, listen, the difference is what we believe God intended to actually do with those words once they had been written with ink on the paper and where we now need to go to actually find those words today. Listen, y'all, that is really the issue. And whereas for our, for the most part, well-meaning and in many cases studious brothers and sisters who would say that those words are in the original manuscripts... And again, this is the oversimplification part. We would say, no, those words are in a book that you can hold in your hand. <laughs> Just like the chapter is certainly seeming to indicate about where we should look, not just for God's word, but his, his words. And what we find in verse 15 is Baruch took the book he held in his hand and from it he read the very inspired words of God. And in verse 18, the people heard the very inspired words of God with their own ears and it freaked them out of their ever-loving mind. <laughs> and just for the record, Mark chapter 12 and verse 37 lets us know that historically, y'all, the common people have never had a problem recognizing the words of of God. They never really had a problem when they're hearing. Did, did that verse go away? I, I thought it was there. Mark 12, 37. I thought I saw it come up. Oh, my bad. You know what the verse says? And the common people heard him gladly. 
again, common people don't really have a difficult time recognizing when they're hearing the words of God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a problem obeying them, but they don't have a problem recognizing them. Listen, quite unlike the bigwig religious aristocracy, there is a contrast in the New Testament. In the same way that there's a contrast here in Jeremiah 36. And, and listen, y'all, there's a contrast that goes on all through history between the common man and the religious bigwig aristocracy. But in this chapter where God gives us his mind about his word, I think it's very important for us to note that God makes a priority about what Baruch was holding and reading from in his hand, just like we're doing in this room tonight. And yet that does transition us very beautifully into the next priority that God emphasizes concerning his word in this chapter, and that's the fact number four. God has never placed a priority on the original manuscripts. God has never placed a priority on the original manuscripts. And again, I, I know it sounds like the point that I want to make at the Certainty Conference, just you see whether or not the point is made in this chapter. Now, what happens in Jeremiah 36, as we just saw in verses 14 through 16, they tell Baruch in verse 14 to take the book that he held in his hand, and as he reads it, they hear the very inspired words of the Lord, as the end of verse 15 says, in their ears, and verse 16 says, now it came to pass, when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and the other, and said unto Baruch, oh! We will surely tell the king all of these words. And because they knew that when they told the king that they had actually heard the words of the Lord, they knew that the king was going to ask them where they heard those words. And so they asked Baruch to reiterate the whole sequence to him of how he actually got the words in his hands that he was reading to them. And in verse 19, knowing that the king wasn't going to like it, then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thou in Jeremiah and let no man know where ye be. You're going to be in big trouble when the king hears this. So in verse 20, they tell the king about this role or this book from which they had heard the very words of the Lord. Verse 21, so the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll. And remember now, the roll that Jehudai went to fetch is the prized, supernatural, original manuscript. And, and I say that in all reverence because what was on that page, y'all, was indeed supernatural. 
And the middle of verse 21 goes on, and Jehudai read in the ears of the king and in the ears of all of the princes which stood beside the king. And so, you know, here's the king with all of his, you know, big wigs in his court actually listening to the very words of God being read from the original manuscript nonetheless. And verse 22 gives us a little foreshadowing of what's about to happen with the original manuscripts. Verse 22 says, Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. You can see where this is going, right? Verse 23, And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, I I mean, he's no more than three or four pages into this thing, he, that is the king, took that original manuscript you know what you he has there and he cut it with a pen knife cuts it to shreds and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth and so do you understand what just happened every last word of the original manuscripts was destroyed. Again, the, the end of verse 23 says, all the roll was consumed in the fire. And verse 25 says that there were a couple of guys there that were appealing to the king not to do this, but the end of verse 25 says, but he would not hear them. In fact, verse 24 says that the same words that the common people heard back in verse 16, remember, that made them afraid? <laughs> didn't phase the king or any of his little cronies whatsoever. Verse 24 says, yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. And again, it's just weird how people look at the same thing so differently. And and so you you look at this, ah, this cocky punk of a king, and you think to yourself, Man, with all that cockiness and belligerence toward God, and especially with him holding these prized and precious original manuscripts, man, you'd think that God would step in and he'd cause the ground to open up like he did for Korah and just consume the king and all these other little twits that are with him there. But you know what you find out in this passage, y'all? God isn't really too concerned with those original manuscripts. (laughs) And and may I say to you that with all of of the the hoopla that goes on in these days about, about original manuscripts, do you know Again, a lot of you do, but do you know that there is not one single original manuscript to be found anywhere on this entire planet? Not one. And yet, Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 13 and verse 31... And he repeats it in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. He repeats it again in Luke chapter 21 and verse 32. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, what y'all? 
my words shall not pass away, which might just lead us to have a faith-based belief that His words, the very words of the Lord, are somewhere where we can find them. Which leads to the fifth priority that God reveals concerning His word from this chapter, and it's this. Even though the original manuscripts have been destroyed, God makes it a priority to preserve all of his original words and whatever other words he intends to add to bring clarity. Okay, so as we saw from the beginning... The original manuscripts, which God repeated 12 times in the passage, reflected how many of God's words, y'all? All of them. And when all of those words were utterly destroyed, you know what's interesting about our completely omniscient and omnipotent God? Somehow, he had no problem remembering the words he had spoken. (laughs) Because they were his words. And as Psalm 119 verse 89 says, they are forever settled in heaven and he doesn't have any problem whatsoever preserving those original words i you know i mean for a lot of people this is whoa whoa are you kidding me you guys really believe that the same god that inspired the bible could preserve it yeah and so in verse 23 the king burns the original manuscripts and they're all destroyed And verse 27 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Hey, take thee yet again another roll and write in it, what? All the former words that were in the first roll. All of them. And again, isn't it amazing just how far omniscience and omnipotence stretches, y'all? Somehow, the God of the Bible doesn't have any problem remembering what he said or preserving what he said. And then in verses 29 through 31, God tells Jeremiah to get in the king's face, giving the, the synopsis version of all the words that he had refused to listen to and the particular judgment that was going to come upon him and his seed because of what he had done, namely that his dead body would rot in the heat of the day and it would freeze by the frost by night, that none of his descendants would ascend to the throne of David. And then verse 32, God gives the conclusion of the whole matter. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah 
all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And we find that God has successfully preserved all the words from the original manuscripts. <laughs> and then watch this little strange thing that he just throws in there at the end of verse 32. And there were added besides unto them Okay, now that them, or all the words from the original manuscripts, and there were added besides unto them many like words. And the question is, like what? <laughs> like all of the former words. And whose words were those? The words of Jeremiah or the words of the Lord? Yes. Okay, and you know why God did this little thing, y'all? I believe this with everything that is within me. I believe that Jeremiah 36 got inspired, came, was given by inspiration of God. Because our sovereign God knew what was going to happen to all of the original manuscripts of the entire Bible. And what's going to happen to them? The same exact thing that happened in Jeremiah 36. They would be absolutely non-existent. And in this chapter of the Bible where God gives us his mind to know how to how to process and how to interpret everything that would happen all down through the annals of history and how to actually come to biblical conclusions on the subject. Not just reasonable conclusions, not just scholarly con conclusions, not just historical conclusions, but biblical conclusions. Conclusions that have been formed from a biblical, faith-based view of the Bible. You see, God knew that those original manuscripts containing all of the, the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic words, he knew that they were ultimately going to be destroyed, and God knew that those words would ultimately be reflected and preserved in a different language, the universal language of the last watch of the night. And God, of course, knew that in translating, and listen to this part because I don't have time to belabor it, but God knew that in the translating from one language to another that there can never be a word-for-word -word translation. Sometimes in the translation there isn't an exact word. And so, as any translator would, would tell you, keeping as close to that word as possible, the translator will translate the equivalent of that word, even though sometimes it requires extra words to convey the actual meaning. Okay, do you understand that? 
And the King James translators obviously understood that. And so every place that they ran into, as they were translating from the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic, every place that they ran into that issue, that there wasn't an English equivalent of that word, and they would have to add words besides... They italicized those words because they were honest and they wanted to, the readers to understand what had actually happened when they were doing that translation. And listen, God also knew about that. And so in this chapter where he gives us his mind so we would know how to process all the information that would surround this whole issue in the last watch of the night, he let us know in that whole process of preserving his word and words that there would be words that would need to be added to give clarity. But those words that would get added in the final analysis, look at the end of verse 32 again, are just like all of the other words that God preserved. Because, you see, this is, this is one of the arguments that the people from an opposing view have with, with us. You know, the, the way that it typically comes down is, you know, you, you, you King James only people, you know, you say that you believe that you're holding in your hand the perfect, inspired, infallible, and errant word and words of God. What are you going to do about those italicized words in your Bible, man? And we would say that when God was giving us the mind of Christ concerning the transmission and inspiration and preservation of his word, he let us know that in the process of preserving his words so that his words never passed away, this book has all of the former words from the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and just like the ten words of this, last ten words of this chapter tell us, and there were added besides unto them many like words. And listen, those words were also the very preserved words of God. Pastor Jeff. Okay, so on one hand, right, we read some of those verses in Jeremiah 36, and I don't know about some of you, but maybe if you've read it before, you've seen it, you think to yourself, well, that's, that's kind of simple. God spoke, he spoke, he wrote, okay, we got it, great. I had to come here for that. The truth of the matter is, it's amazing how many people just like the way they miss the plan of salvation. That's just too simple. They think, certainly it has to be something more complicated. Certainly, we need people much smarter that can figure out all of the research that then confirms that this is the way it is. But you know what? If tonight, maybe for the first time, 
you heard and understood and the little light went on in your mind and you realized, wow, that is simple and that is profound and that is clear. And like Jesus said in John 8, right, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And now you realize, wow, just think, if that's you, you have just begun to take your first step on the most amazing journey where all of God's words now that you recognize as such begin to just light up in your heart and in your mind and you recognize what it is you hold in your very hand. The very words of God. And to all of our dear brothers and sisters who just don't see it yet or have, for whatever reason, chosen to not agree, they enjoy reading other modern translations. That's fine, like I said before. And by the way, read whatever you want to read. But when it comes time to study, when it comes time to really want to know exactly what are the words, each and every one, that God wants me to have, well, you have that available in a book you can hold in your hand. And when you recognize that and when you every morning get up and read from that and you realize these are the very words of God that he wants me to have, your life will never, ever be the same. You could truly be a very mature Christian man or woman having learned many wonderful things from other translations. Of course, I would say it this way. All of these different English translations of the Bible, are they all contain the Word of God. But the authorized King James Version is the Word of God. And that's really a difference. They don't just contain the words. of That is the very Word of God. That was good, wasn't it? That was a blessing. Let's all stand up. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Let's go ahead and get ready. I'm going to pray. And if you have anything you just need to confess and get off your heart and your mind and just kind of just lay it out there, let's do that. As these guys get ready and when I'm done praying, man, let's just thank God and praise God for all the wonderful things that he has in store for us. And when the song's over and we're dismissed, please just remember you're all welcome tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock in the next Gen Center Outback.